The TARDIS cloister bell. Imminent disaster. The cloister bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no. Hello and welcome back to the Cloister Bell podcast. After uh, last week, uh, our previous podcast's promise of we will be back next week. Uh, it's been, uh, it's probably been two or three weeks. So yeah, keeping tremendous sense of time. Sorry, folks. Uh, there is a genuine reason. We'll probably get into that in a second. Uh, but I'm Liam and I'm joined by Rob. Hi, Rob. Hello, Liam. Uh, you got the names right. <laughs> I didn't last week. <laughs> The week before last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever it was. Yeah, when, whenever it was. I'm Rob, and I know this now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, a bit of an identity crisis last time. Um, yeah, um, so, uh, listeners, we're terribly sorry for yet another delay in uh, in getting a podcast out. Um, actually, I know it doesn't look it doesn't look this way, but we there are plans afoot uh, now, and they're looking like they will be fully in place to actually start getting... Um, a regular proper schedule um so thank you very much for your patience and which we've probably been stretching to breaking point uh but yeah it's a right it's in a state of decay at the minute <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> yes it is um but we're all in the process of sorting it out uh, and thank you so but uh thank you very very much for sticking with us uh we do really appreciate it uh and it's it's nice that you you know you're still sticking around but i do understand that it can be frustrating um but we will be sorting it out very soon um the re- <laughs> no i mean <laughs> laughing at that statement rob isn't going to convince the listeners that i'm actually being sincere but uh but we are uh things are looking good for the future so excellent stuff um such optimism <laughs> i didn't mean that in a negative way i'm just pointing out all right okay okay well that's good um yes but you, uh, you and I, Rob, we've been talking about things, and actually, there's been some changes um, which actually benefit the scheduling of the podcast. Um, so yes, it's uh, it's all good. And the reason why there's been a delay uh, from our previous podcast is it's entirely my fault, folks. Um, I just got really, really exhausted. Um, just it's been a very busy year. There's been an awful lot going on, and uh, it, the tiredness didn't sort of creep up it was just like bam one day i was just really really mentally exhausted this isn't a sob story or anything like that i'm just explaining that i just (laughs) i just needed just needed a rest Uh, i've had a few days off work um almost a week at the time of recording and it's oh it's been lovely that's nice it's needed sometimes oh yeah definitely um yeah i was really mentally burnt out um we should we should we should uh, i know i've joked about this in the past but we should give each other allocated holiday time off the podcast like how much do you think we're allowed to take each three months <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, so one of us goes solo for three months or or has like a i'll have like a proxy liam <laughs> yeah i could do yeah i think um one or two weeks i think we're probably all right yeah yeah okay if um if we can find a stand in yeah, or one of us can uh, can can waffle on for yeah. forty minutes without hesita- yeah. hesitation, repetition, or deviation. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that, no, sorry, go yeah. on, Rob. That sounds hard, but go on. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, I was just going to say. So anyway, uh, f- from 
however many weeks it was since our last podcast. How have you been? What you've been up to? I'm quite well. Um, I've been driving about in the snow today. Mm. Winter has returned. Uh, yes, it has. And lately, I've I felt the car's been a little bit sluggish when I'm pulling away. Mm. Thought, oh no, it's probably on its way out. Hope not. So, I go to the local supermarket and I'm parking up in the car park, as you do. And um, I'm on one of the end bits and one of my my front wheels mounts the curb intentionally. Okay. But I just feel a big flop and hear a thud. Oh, crap. Mm. So I get out. Some woman was looking really concerned at the car and walked off. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And I get out and my front driver's side tyre it was pretty much flat oh okay um so at this point it was it was windy it was snowing and i was pretty miserable Mm. so (laughs) um uh what's the word lifted the car up with that tool not my bare hands (laughs) Uh, and um couldn't get the wheel off it was too stiff um then I proceeded to pump up the flat tire with my electric pump. Um, ten minutes later, that exploded. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Wow. Um, by this point, I'd had a fraction of air in. I don't think it was a complete puncture. It was, it was just like it must have been a slow puncture overnight or something. Um, it was pretty. It was pretty um, flat though, so I managed to have a, a slow drive home, which is just down the road. Hmm. Um, parked up outside and then I went in the house, got a crowbar and then I just put the put the little tool on to start taking the nuts off the wheel and then just beat it to death with a crowbar. Finally got that off and I, and I put the replacement tyre on and then went over to Whitley Bay for a new tyre. Nice. Yeah. I'm just thinking that when we come to Logopolis, there's a begin in the f- begin there's stuff in the first episode which probably make you reminisce about all this. But okay. Oh, oh yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds like an ordeal. But everything's okay with the car now. Yeah, it's fine now. Sixty pound later, it's all good. Ouch. Okay. <laughs> so, how about you? Uh, with me, it's uh, well, um, uh, getting back to the gym, which has been quite good. Um, then with work and then with, with everything having having the week off has, has been nice so being able to, to catch up on reading just relax catch up on a few bits and pieces um, the Monday just gone the time of recording um, a work colleague of mine had recommended this bookshop called Keelan Row which uh, I'd never heard of before but it's uh, it's up in North Shields is it like a used bookstore as well? Yes, it is, but it, it's yeah. sort of like uh, I mean, it has everything, but it um, there are rare books and manuscript shop, but they'll have pretty much anything and everything that that you would want. So uh, I went to visit there, and I was in my element. It was like one of those bookshops which I'm, which you used to have scattered around quite a few places, but seem quite rare to come across now. But it's just you know, great old shops, um, just jam packed with every single type of book with very little space to maneuver around but it's just great um love those there was a there was a nice old bookshop in whitley bay it's probably gone now but it was literally towers of books up to the ceiling Mm. it was like a labyrinth it was amazing yeah yeah well it's sort of of the, the same thing and uh but you've got so you've got old um 
old travel books or history books um, from from every type of uh, period. Some some incredibly rare um, first editions from from various places. Um, being a Bond fan, it was they had they had a um, a first edition of Thunderball. Um, which I would have loved to have bought, but I didn't have £450 on me at the time, unfortunately, so I wasn't able to get that, but oh. <laughs> I know. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so they had all these uh, all these type of books. They, they've got uh, much more modern ones, uh, but kids' books. They had Beano's. There was a section which was um, biographies. Um, so I was looking at that section, and there was this big, th- th- there was this huge pile of uh, magazines on, on the left of them. I went, oh, what are these magazines? Oh wow! Old editions of Playboy, uh, which was a bit of a surprise. So they cater for all tastes, <laughs> by, by the looks of it. Um, but yeah, I ended up buying uh, two books. Um, at the moment, I've been going through a, um, a Richard Nixon Watergate binge with um, films and, and and books and documentaries. And uh, there was a book on uh, Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger, so I bought that. And if anyone's familiar with uh, Watergate, they will know that Bob Woodward was one of the journalists um, involved in in breaking the story who worked on the Washington Post. And I came across one of his books, but nothing to do with Watergate. This was, I think it was originally published in 85, and it was about uh, John Belushi. And uh, he goes, because John Belushi died very young. So goes to investigate that and apparently goes into the whole sort of like seedy business of uh, Hollywood and all the rest of it. Uh, that's the first edition. Uh, I went, oh, okay, that sounds uh, interesting and a different take on the, the sort of thing that one associates with him. So I bought that and, uh, yeah. And as I said, that's good. yeah, and then uh, and then just uh, catching up, uh, uh, we're reading. Today I've just uh, um, started reading Return of the King. Uh, okay, but uh, up until now, as I said, I've, I've been reading a lot of stuff on Richard Nixon and Watergate. So, but uh, oh. <laughs> so I've, I've taken a little bit of a break from that, but it won't be long because I've got a biography of Richard Nixon to read, um, uh, and a few other things. But yeah, um, so I'm my element with reading. Oh, and I've been listening to Queen a lot. It's been a while since I've listened to. I just sat down and listened to Queen albums. So that's one thing I've been doing, just going through their their catalogue, and it's like one of those things. Is just going. I, I've always liked Queen, but it's just like I forgot how good they were because uh, it's been such a long time since uh, since I've listened to their stuff. So that's been quite nice as well. well that's nice. Mm. Um, I haven't been out anywhere. I've been watching. Oh, last night me and my wife watched Jurassic Park, Jurassic World. Sorry, Dominion. Is that the most recent one? The most recent. So. The one that they were trying desperately to convince people to go to the audience to and no one was uh, to the cinema yeah. and just like, eh, we're not interested. How yeah. was it? Oh, right. So I wasn't that interested in Jurassic World, mm. the first one. Um, eventually I watched the second one, meh, and then the third one came along, and now they're playing the nostalgia card and they've got the original three mm. back. Mm-hmm. So the narrative split between these these two kind of teams. You've got the new the new people and the old people. Yeah. Um. It it's entertaining, but I, it's I think it's too little, too late. They could have maybe started with this originally. Um. 
uh, I don't know, is this a sign that the the original lineup wasn't working so well and they had to do this? It it didn't really amount to much. I guess they saved the world from existential crisis, but yeah, <laughs> apart from that, <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, I, I had some good moments. It was more like, like, I don't know, like winking at the audience with little, little, little unrealistic references to to past films. Mm, okay, it was, uh, it was entertaining, but you wouldn't go back to watch it, or you go, no. you wouldn't go out of your way to watch it. Yeah, but it was entertaining. No. It uh, it killed a couple of hours. Yeah, it, it yeah, but I, I feel I feel like I just I like the original three Jurassic Park films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the new ones. I just I hold them in the same regard as the new Star Wars films. Bit of fan fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I think that's a good summing up. I mean, I haven't seen the the, the recent uh, Jurassic Park films. I am aware of them, of course, through the the huge amount of advertising that they've had. All and um, oh, I get mixed up with some of these actors. They all they all look the same. Is a Chris he- is a Chris Hemsworth. It's one of the Chris's. It's Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt, right. I knew it was yeah. Chris somebody. Chris Chris Hemsworth is probably one of the best of the Chris's. Um, he's Thor. Then you've got oh, Chris, yes. Pr- Chris Pratt and Chris Pine. I don't know um, which of those two is better or worse. Who's Chris Pine? Uh, he's Captain Kirk. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's all right. <laughs> um, I would... Yeah. Who do I prefer, Chris Pine or Chris Pratt? Um, I don't, as a person, my wife was telling me about Chris Pine, right? Um, because um, I get I, I, he gets a bit of criticism for his strong Christian values. Oh yes, I have heard about this, but it's just yeah, it, I haven't got a problem with that. Yeah, well, no, neither do I. But you know, when people highlight um, little bits like. I don't know. Like, I feel like he didn't. He didn't go to his. He didn't go to the hospital to see his daughter have been born. And I know what you mean. I mean, the, some people may find that odd, but that's that's just you know that is. I know what you mean. Some people may find that odd, but that yeah. that's traditional and fine. And I think I think his his firstborn, his daughter, had some difficulties. Oh, okay. And then and then he, I think he I don't know if he's he cheated on his wife or he had another partner, and then finally announced. That you'd finally had a healthy baby son, or something. I don't know. I don't really know the full story. This is just things that I've been told. Yeah, I mean, to be perfectly honest, unless they've done something extremely criminal, I'm not remotely <laughs> interested in the personal lives of celebrities. I... Oh, there's one one other thing. He did the Jurassic Park films. Oh, this man's a monster. <laughs> um, but anyway, so yeah. Anyway, just go back. So the one thing I'm pleased that this franchise is done with, even though I haven't yeah. seen the films. So I'm not commenting. Yeah. Quality, I'm just because. There's one thing which just bugs the hell out of me, and I'm so pleased we won't have to see it anymore, which is that thing of... That stance that Chris Pratt does in the films, you know, when he sort of, like, slightly lowers himself and puts his hands out. Oh, that Pratt, yeah. Yeah, yeah, to calm the... Di- I don't know what it is, just constantly seeing that, just, just I'm sick of seeing it. I'm sick of yeah. seeing it. It was a big thing in the final one as well. It's like, mm. then at the end, they're all doing it, and they triangulate their palms around a dinosaur. <laughs> Oh, I see. <laughs> the team up, like imagine a big team team up, and you've got like everyone just puts the palms out. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds awful. Mm. <laughs> maybe I should maybe I should watch it just to see. But um, 
Oh, talking of films, one th- uh, one film that I have watched uh, recently, I'd seen it before, but it'd been many, 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 many years ago. Flash Gordon. Oh. Well, didn't um, Dr. Zarkov die today? Yes. Uh, Topple. Uh, that's the actor's name. Um, yes. Sadly passed away. Yeah. A bit odd, actually, because uh, he'd been on my mind a little bit um, recently, just as an actor. I was just like, yeah, I, mean, I wonder what Topple's up to recently. This is before I watched uh, rewatched Flash Gordon. Just randomly came into my mind. So I've been thinking about <laughs> thinking about Topple for for about just over the last week, and then I watched Flash Gordon. Um, ah, that, it was a lot of fun. I'll get onto that. Yeah, but uh, Topple has has sadly died. And when I was watching one of the special features on um, on the Flash Gordon uh, set that I've got, um, they interview Topple, obviously talking about the film, but they talk you know they, they talk about you know what he what he's been doing since, and one of the things he'd done. Um, because he's from Israel, I think from Tel Aviv. Um, mm. So he, uh, I think he's always lived there. I don't think he's ever. Anyway, um, one of the things he'd set up, I think, in Tel Aviv, was uh, this uh, education center uh, for children, uh, mixture of backgrounds, mixture of religions, and helping you know, uh, helping helping them with, uh, I think, impoverished backgrounds and disabilities, and just educating them. Uh, and he's helped set that up and. What he was saying was that that's one of the things that gives him greatest joy, and that's the most important thing that he's ever done. And he clearly had a lot of uh, delight in, in in doing that. So that was that was really nice to see, and I think that will probably be probably be his most important legacy. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good legacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's uh, that's amazing. Um, but obviously, uh, you know, we are aware of him through through his films. Um, he'll always be associated with uh, the Fiddler on the Roof, which ca- uh, the film version, which came out in seventy one, mm-hmm. uh, and that wonderful song that he sings, "If I Were a Rich Man" and the way he dances and all the rest of it. I immediately think of him as uh, Columbo, not the TV series, but the character <laughs> in the James Bond film "For Your Eyes Only." Um, yes, he's he's just fantastic in that, and as I said, uh, Doctor Zarkov in uh, Flash Gordon. So he's he's got a really good legacy as uh, as a, as a good actor and as a um, I don't know a humanitarian, but yeah, just just lovely and um, yeah, it's a shame that he's passed away. Mm. Oh, I'll have to hunt out the Flash Gordon. Oh yeah, I, I, lo- um, I loved it. A lot, of it. lot of fun. It's just, I mean, it's because I I think the last time I saw it was probably I'm not even quite sure if I was a teenager at that point. So a long time ago. Right, I uh, I bought the Steelbook DVD a long time ago. Right, it was like um, some kind of anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh uh, yeah, I'll have to hunt it out. Um, it's it's actually quite surprising. How, like, there's things in there where you kind of just go, "Wow, I'm quite surprised." There's a few things in here which are a bit risque. Mm. Um, because uh, so the villain played by Max von Sydow, uh, who is Ming the Merciless. Uh, he ends up having a thing for the. He ends up uh, having a thing for the uh, the main female lead, uh, Dale Arden, and uh, there's a few sort of like um, <laughs> there's a there's a bit when he possesses her with the power of his ring, and she's just sort of like moaning and slightly touching herself and just going, "Jeez, this mm. is a bit of soft <laughs> porn in a 
PG rated film. There's a bit when because uh, Ming the Merciless also has a daughter and she's a bit of, she's a bit of a floozy and just like bonking everyone yeah. in the palace. And uh, she's in a serious relationship with uh, Timothy Dalton's character. And there's a bit when they're having a conversation and he doesn't trust her and he just calls her a bitch. She's going, what? Wow, okay. <laughs> and then there's a couple of times in the movie when, uh, to, uh, the, you know, there's a scene when um, his character and Flash Gordon are fighting and it's in um, um, the uh, the Hawkman's palace. And they're, yeah. on that, uh, they're on that platform which is moving around and it's got spikes and stuff. And uh, Brian Blessed's character is in control of that, and he, he just starts making it move with his bags going up, and then Timothy Dalton just shouts, "Bastard!" <laughs> just go, and then there's another bit when uh, when they're attacking the city, and Doctor Zarkov and Dalton's character um, storm into this room, and he just goes, "Don't move, you bastards!" She's going, "I don't know. I, that just really surprised me in a PG radio." <laughs> <laughs> I know, like, on the swearing scale, it's quite mild, but I think for... Anyway, that just surprised me, and it kind of amused me, if I'm honest. But anyway... Um, yeah, I want to try that next time I enter a room. <laughs> Don't move, you bastards. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe I should do that, just... Yeah. Um, but it is a, a it is a just a really, really good, enjoyable film. It put me in a really good yeah. mood. It, yeah, it was just, just wonderful. Have you got the Brian Blessed commentary on that, too? I have. I, I haven't listened to it yet. Um, it is good. Yeah. He is on the uh, the special features and the documentaries and stuff. And the problem is, I mean, we all love Brian Blessed. The man's a, just a... Um, he's a national treasure. Um, and just an absolute force of nature. And he, he's, he's a great storyteller. I do think... <laughs> but the thing is, it's just like... I'm not sure whether to fully believe some of the stuff he's telling. It's, just, it's a great story. He tells it with great relish. But it's just... I'm sure some of this has got to be absolute bullshit. But do you think he's one of those people that just tells a story and every time it's just a little bit different? I think so. But do you, have you ever seen the movie Big Fish? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen it in years, but uh, I remember really liking that film. And it has, uh, it has this character played by... Oh, 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 what's his name? I've forgotten his name now. Something Finney. Albert Finney. Um. <laughs> And he plays the father, and the whole thing is that the son he's getting he he's very frustrated with his father because his father just tell tells tall tales, and it really annoys him. And but then there's the whole thing at the end is it's all about actually living, and loving and sharing the moments, and part of that is telling tall tales. I want to watch that film now, and maybe it's sort of the same with Brian Blessed. That's just a sort of. You know there is there is a there is some truth in what, he, what he's saying, um, but at the end of the day, it's all about living and entertaining and all the rest of it. But actually, you know how he's famous yeah. for that line of "Gordon's alive." Yeah. You know when you watch the film, it's not delivered like that at all. Just Gordon's alive. That sort of thing. Oh right. It's that's weird. Yeah, but everyone just <laughs> including including Brian Blessed does this thing of just like sort of like. Screaming it, screaming yeah. it at the top of his lungs, like really bawling it out. But it's actually, I, and where we're like, yeah, that's how he said it. Yeah, no, 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 it's not really false memory. <laughs> Brian Blessed's performance in Flash Gordon, believe it or not, <laughs> I'm going to use a word which most people will not will not associate with the film, is actually quite subtle. I don't think it's this. It's not the loud, boisterous performance that I think people have in their memories. There's there's some new. There's the whole, I mean, there's, I think the, the most outlandish of it is when they're doing the battle. 
And he, you know, when he's fly, when they're flying in the air, and he's going, "Hawkman, oh, yeah. dive!" and he's laughing his head off, and all the rest of it. <laughs> That's a most, most outlandish, but the rest of it's just a you know a performance which suits the tone of the film. But anyway, hmm. you know what I learned this week, actually. Uh, speaking of things that aren't quite how we remember them, mm-hmm. in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Oh, okay. Um, how, how do the lyrics go? It's hi ho, hi ho. It's off to work we go. It's not. Is it not? It's it's home from work we go. I think what's happened with that, Rob, is over the years people have improved on the lyric. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, so sorry. What's the original? It's home from work we go. It makes sense because they've been to work and they're, they're moving from the right of the screen to the left of the screen when traditionally that's, that's, that's homeward bound. Yes, that's true. Is there not slightly, isn't there a slightly two different versions of the song though? Isn't there one where they're singing it to the mines and isn't there a version when they're singing it from it? Maybe there is. Um, and maybe... I'll have to fact check this. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing... I mean, it's it's been many years since I've seen that film, um, but that's. I'm sure that. I seem to have some memory of it being sung twice, to and from the mines, but I may be completely right. wrong. I'll look it up. Mm. And we'll find out later. Um. So I've been watching The Mandalorian. It's two episodes in now. Oh okay. Yeah, that's good. <clears throat> and what else? Oh, actually, you has returned part two of the latest season today. Um, I'll probably watch that tomorrow. There's something else I'm sure I've been watching. Oh, uh, Star Trek Picard is on its final season. Um, three episodes in, it's it's a big improvement over the first two seasons. That second season was just pretty awful. <laughs> okay. Um. There's so much Star Trek going on at the moment, though. Mm. Um, Strange New Worlds, I want to watch, but I'm going to wait and maybe binge them all at some point because all of Star Trek has moved to the Paramount Plus streaming service. So they only do a seven-day free trial, not a 30-day. So I might I might do the seven days sometimes, see how I go, and then I might dip into it for another month, possibly. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, I'm feeling quite thirsty now. Um, I've got a Budweiser or a Brew Dog. All right, okay. Um, I don't drink. I'm got a clue about them, but Brew Dog. Don't you quite like yeah. that? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Is it? Is that just a just a, a normal beer, or do they come in different it, flavors or something? This is a different flavour. This is actually, it's Brewdog, the brand, but it, it's it's an Aldi exclusive. And I don't think I like this one as much. Right, It's because okay. it's, it's, it's IPA, but it's Ald IPA. And it's got the Aldi colours around it. Oh, okay. Um, it's a little bit sweet and bitter. I don't really like it. What flavour is it? Um, how would I describe it? <laughs> it's indescribable. It's, it's it's no flavour in particular. All right, just a bit too sweet. Yeah, a little bit. 
I like it when it's a bit more um, hoppy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, um, where's this podcast going today? Then have we mentioned? Uh, yes, you, you you wonderfully worked the title of the story in uh, <laughs> earlier on. Um, yes. Um, so we're looking at State of Decay, which is a season eighteen uh, story, um, which is Tom Baker's final season um, as the Doctor, and. This is the fourth story in the televised series and is the second story in what's called the E-Space Trilogy. So, round about the middle of the season, there's this, uh, there's these two stories which are linked. Which is that the, the TARDIS in the previous story, which was Full Circle, uh, goes through um, what's called a CVE, a Charge Vacuum Appointment just sort of like a space hole if you like and they have gone into a completely different universe uh which is what what does the what does the e stand for uh extra or extended or exo Ex- oh yeah well i knew that yeah that, now that you mentioned it, it's familiar <laughs> yeah yeah um no no it's, it's a good question but yeah because uh, i think they just mentioned it once the exo space time continuum or something like that and then, and then it's just e space from the rest of it okay um uh, which is a smaller pocket, sort of like universe t- to our own. Our universe being N-Space. N-Space, yeah. I don't know what the N stands for. No, normal? Normal, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, maybe normal space. Um, uh, so the, the TARDIS is trapped in E-Space, and so these three stories are them um, trying, you know, they're in, they're having their adventures, but they also need to get out and go, you know, return to our N- normal N-Space. Um, but this thing with CVEs will actually prove to be something of a significant plot point when we come to Tom Baker's last story. So keep notes, folks. Um, so um, just going through the cast and crew, Tom Baker, as, as we said, plays the Doctor. Lala Ward plays Romana. John Leeson uh, is K-9. Matthew Waterhouse plays Adric. Uh, that's the regulars. And then we have Emerus James plays Orcon. Rachel Davies plays Camilla. William Lind... Lindsay plays Zargo and Clinton Green plays Ivo. The story was directed by Peter Moffat. He would write, um, sorry, he would direct a number of Doctor Who stories in the 1980s. The last being The Two Doctors, I think. Um, so he goes from Tom Baker, Peter Davison and Colin Baker era. This being his first directed story. It was written by Terence Dix. This would actually be the second last story he would write for televised Doctor Who. Um, then. The next one and the final one would be The Five Doctors. And the story was produced by John Nathan Turner. Um, So, again, I've got the Doctor Who handbook, the fourth Doctor, the Tom Baker years. So I'm just going to read the plot synopsis from that. Okay. Uh, The next port of call in East Space is another habitable world. Here the people live in fear of the three who rule, who live in a high tower overlooking their village. The rulers demand humans whom their guards select from the village and take to the tower never to be seen again. They also keep the villagers in ignorance, although there is a small secret group of scientists who are struggling to rediscover and keep alive the knowledge of electricity and technology. The three who rule, Queen Camilla, King Zargo and Councillor Orkhan, are in fact vampires, the surviving crew of the Hydrax, a spacecraft sucked like the TARDIS into a CVE who have been vampirised by the great vampire. The last of a race of extermin the last of a race exterminated by the Time Lords, who is now asleep underground awaiting his next summons. 
The Doctor discovers that the tower is the shell of the original spacecraft and arranges for one of the shuttles to lift off and then to plummet to the ground, staking the awakening great vampire through the heart. With their control... Oh yeah, it did stake it, didn't it? I didn't get that. Oh, right, okay. I thought just stabbed, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it stakes it, yeah. The, the special effects at that point are a little bit ropey, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, with their controlling influence removed, Camilla, Zargo and Orkon crumble to dust. So that's the plot of Stated K. Yeah. Um, when did you first... Do, do you remember... I, t- I mean, I take it, had you seen the story before? I hadn't seen it until DVD. Ah, oh, right, so, okay. So that was your... Um, I, was aware, I was aware of it through... Like other, other vampire stories in Doctor Who, because mm-hmm. I knew this was the, the kind of starting point for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, before I'd ever discovered it, I thought it would have like a bit more substance to it about the whole background of the Time Lords versus the vampires. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it doesn't. But it, it also does because we have a, um, nice little callback to that. Um. But yeah, it's good. When did you first discover it? Um, I can't remember. It would have been. I think it was the. I think it may have been nine, around nineteen ninety eight. Um, when it came out on VHS and it came in a box set, so it was the the E Space trilogy box set. So it came with the all three stories in it, and um, I'm sure it was ninety eight because I remember on the Warriors Gate video they had a uh, they had a trailer for the destiny of the doctors video game which i think came out that year um have you played that no 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 i really wanted to at the time i didn't have a i didn't have a pc at the time and i really wanted mm. one for the simple reason that i wanted to play that game um i think it's probably just as well i, ha- I didn't because i've seen footage of it it's since. meant to be really bad I t- yeah i think the best bits in it because it's actually there are video sections uh and it's anthony ainley uh playing the master yeah we've got those on dvd now haven't we? yeah yeah we have so we can Somewhere. actually watch those and they're really good fun uh nicely written very humorous and anthony ainley does a great performance playing the master and it would turn out obviously to be his last performance in the ca- as the character and they're really good but anyway, um, whatever year that video game came out was the year that the box set came out, so people may be able to work. But it's, anyway, sometime in the late 90s, and that's when I first watched it. And um, at the time, and I still I still really enjoy the story, but at the time, State of Decay was my f- favourite of the three stories. Um, I just thought it was a lot of fun, and I love the whole vampire thing. And um, uh, I remember getting the Target novelization not long after and reading that and just absolutely loving it. Um, but yeah, you're right because this is th- this is actually for a quite a simple uh, Doctor Who story. Um, I mean, I think this is Doctor Who at its most, and I don't mean this in a in a in a negative way. I just just describing it. I think this is Doctor Who at its most nuts and bolts um, story. But yet, it's interesting that it seems to be a thing which has always come back to. So the Virgin New Adventures, Terran Styx actually wrote a sequel to the story called Blood Harvest, which is a lot of fun. And it's uh, it begins set in 1920s Chicago, and the Doctor runs a speakeasy and all the rest of it, and it's great, and there's vampires running around. And then later on, they actually return to this planet uh, that we see in the story, State of Decay. 
and there's the big return of the vampires and actually there's the there's a whole thing of what happened at the end of this story to the society so Terran Sticks follows up on it follows up on it and um and as you know Rob with the the recent cuz you've really been getting into it but uh with the recent Time Lord Victorious the vampires come back in that don't they they do yes so um from the ninth doctor comics in doctor who magazine which you've probably seen have you did you read those yes i did yeah yeah um so we went back to the dark times um saw the vampires and an early rassilon as well yes was rassilon female oh yes i think uh, i think rassilon was yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. that rings a bell yeah so that that ties into that um i got a book from you um vampire science an eighth doctor book Oh yes, I forgot about that. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's the vampires. Um, we had vampires in Venice, which is nothing to do with any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your feelings towards that missed opportunity? Uh, Even though we kind of enjoyed that story, yeah, we did actually. Um, no, I don't think it was a. Um... No, I quite I quite liked the fact that they they, they went in a in a different slightly different direction with it and uh No, I don't think it was yeah, a they, were, they were fish, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah they were fish. And I, I liked how in its own way it it was trying to explain that you know those vampire traits of, you know, why they don't have reflections. It's because of the uh, the, the the mirror can't work out the the reflect uh, the the disguise technology that they're using. So that's why, you know, and the little things like that. So they have fun with that. Um no, no, I said, uh, no, I, I like that story. I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't look at it as a missed opportunity. How about you? Um, yeah, at the time I thought, what, why are they ignoring connections to the past? But um, yeah, I saw the episode and <laughs> enjoyed it and moved on. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, as I said, with uh, with this story, it... Um, it is a sort of nuts and bolts thing, and actually had a bit of a, a bit of a history to it. So this had originally been written. I don't know the exact dates. Uh, it sort of straddles the um, Philip Hinchcliffe, Graham Williams period, but it had originally been written for 1977. But what happened at that point was that the BBC were doing their own prestigious adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. And this would have been broadcast around about the same time. So the BBC didn't want any sort of uh, comparisons or competition. It was just like, no, we're doing this prestigious drama. Uh, We don't want Doctor Who to do their own version of vampires. In fact, because it might be seen that you're taking the mick. Don't do it. So Mm -hmm. for that reason, uh, this story was not uh, not, uh, made at the time. But when John Nathan Turner uh, became producer, obviously had to have uh, stories commissioned. He did get stories commissioned, but there was a pile of scripts of stories which had not been produced and they went through that. And he saw this and went, actually, this is quite a good story. So I got in contact with Terrence Dix. Uh, would you, you know, can we do this story? Yes, it'll need reworking because it had originally been written with just uh, the Doctor and Leela. Obviously now it needs to be rewritten with uh, the e-space stuff. Um, yeah, which actually worked quite well. Yeah, it works incredibly well. Uh, Romana, K9's in at this point, and we've got a new, although introduced in the previous story, you know, this is really when Adric uh, becomes a proper companion. Um, in this one here. Now, the story is because at this point, the script editor 
for the series was Christopher Hamilton Bidmead. And his whole thing was he wanted to ground the series in something much more believable, especially from the scientific aspect of it. And so they got this director, Peter Moffat, to direct the story. Uh, John Nathan Turner apparently approached him saying, would you like to direct a Doctor Who? We've got this one, which is quite operatic and uh, a bit theatrical, which I think you would be very good at. Would you be interested? Peter Moffat reads the script and goes, yes, I would. Um, then what happens is Christopher, uh, Christopher Bidmead ends up effectively completely rewriting the story and making it much more scientific and up to, you know, up to date and all the rest of it, completely changing the tone and the feel of the story. Didn't make Terence Dix very happy. Um, and it didn't make Peter Moffat happy. In fact, cause what ends, so what ends up happening is Peter Moffat goes to Jonathan Turner and goes, you told me I was directing this type of story because you knew I liked it stylistically. I'm now being asked to do this, which is completely different. I'm not happy. And because Peter Moffat kicked off, they then reverted back to the original script, um, which to be perfectly honest, I'm pleased they did. Do you know what it would have been? We we know like little bits and pieces about it. Like there's stuff about space pods, uh, and that's where the um, the three who rule sleep and things like that. And basically, anything medieval that's in the story wouldn't have been there. It's just complete. Everything's just completely updated. Right. Okay. Um, I really like the the traditional medieval setting and. Um, I know it's kind of like traditional with this sort of thing with vampires, but I think it, it does suit the story a, a lot more. And Terence Dix always loved Peter Moffat for that. He went, you know, that, that was a time when a director really stood up for the writer and, and went, we got the story, it was really good, it was very atmospheric, and now I've been told to uh, direct this really bland crap. <laughs> Please can I do the original? And that's what happened. So I thought that was a, oh. that was a little bit interesting. Yeah. The spaceship looked um, quite like a, a gothic castle, the way it was integrated in the landscape. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so we begin the story. Uh, they're all trying to find a way to get out of e-space. They come across this planet. Uh, K-9 scans the planet and goes, uh, there's basically only one place, high technology. But it's but it's not really up and running. So they land and everything's very medieval and there's no other village on the planet or anything like that. Adric is stored, st- stowed away, uh, tricks K9 into getting him to leave the TARDIS and uh, uh, the Doctor Roman, I quickly discovered that there are signs of technology, but everything's sort of like very primitive and medieval. Um, lots of villagers doing odd signs of like protect me from evil and um there are no strangers uh and all the rest of it mm. <clears throat> there's only one village on the entire planet yes yeah yeah that's right which uh even the the, the doctor's kind of like that's just preposterous but it yeah. turns out to be the case um and i do like that scene when uh when they do come to the village and you have the guard and um ivo and the doctor's just going um you know, he's rattling off all these different terms for, you know, for, you know, strangers, foreign devils, <laughs> you know, you know, people you don't know. And then it's just like, no, no, hang on. Sorry. He's uh, he's talking about scientists. Just going, scientists. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah. Just going, you know, witch wingler, vangater, woodaloo And just go, ah, yes, no, such things are forbidden. 
Um, and Terrence Dix does this wonderful flip. And I remember the first time when I when I was watching the story all these years ago, just being really intrigued by it. Because, you know, you think you've landed in this very primitive setting. Which is how the story how the story is actually introduced. We we see all these you know these uh, very impoverished peasants, um, this this lineup where people are picked, and then they sent uh, to the town. Yeah, I love how the guys just picking all these randomers. Yeah, poor them. Yeah, and they just they just get picked and, and lined up. Yeah, and even how they differ. You know, if if it's a man and he picks, he you know sort of like taps him on the shoulder, and if it's a woman, he just points in their face. Yes. I noticed that difference. I think it's kind of a nice touch. Um, I'm just going, wow, this is like a really primitive society, and it's just. Uh. And the way the way he talks to his wife as well. <laughs> Later on, yeah, it's like quiet woman. <laughs> you know that that sort of thing. So yeah, um, great, simple, wonderful times. Yeah. Um, and then so when the doctor arrives here and he's talking about you know. The, other scientists and going we don't even know what they are and oh that's what you're talking about no uh, they're forbidden and then everyone leaves and then ivo does something he goes over to a box and then he pulls out a walkie-talkie it's technology and just going hang on i just remember as a kid just going wow that's a that's a flip i didn't expect that now i'm intrigued there's there's, there's stuff going on here uh, walkie-talkies um exciting technology um what uh, yeah, so uh, I love that, and it just it just in a in a quite simple but a very effective way, it just draws you into the story a lot more. Yeah, there's a, there's another level of something going on here. Yeah, um, and I mean one of the things that I I do love it's it's very clear from the beginning it's all about vampirism, you know, because you've got this character who who is the chancellor, uh, Orcon. Well, actually, the three who rule have all got this makeup, uh, which you know, with with eyes uh, in the shape of like uh, with eye makeup in the shape of sort of like a bat, mm-hmm. you know. And then Orkon goes um, when he's talking about you know trying to find uh, the Doctor and who you know who these strangers are. The guard you know goes no spare the guards. My servants will find them. And then there's just the, this uh, superimposed footage of a bat flying in the air. <laughs> just go. <laughs> Which is great. It's it's just wonderful. But there's um, and I don't mind it. But there's no intrigue. It just go yeah, it's vampires. Yeah, yeah. But the the reveal of actually one of the things that I love about it is just uh, the the build up to it and actually how you know it's sort of like right. It's about vampires, but how serious is the threat? There's a giant vampire and uh, it's been sleeping and all the rest of it and how it ties. We'll get onto this in a bit later, but how how they tie into Time Lords and mm. uh, which is great. Um, we also learn how the humans got here because they are in fact human. Yes, because the, this this ship came through um, to E space. Mm-hmm. I guess. Um, did did the humans come through with the with the vampire? No, but uh, or that's or because at the end doesn't 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 the doctor say well? Th- didn't the the vampire got you here, but the secrets die with him? Yes. Yeah, so um, so the vampire had vanished. Turns out, had vanished into e space, and he managed to draw the the spaceship, the Hydrax, into uh, e space. And that's right, you know, and then he basically uh, bribed and took over the who 
the people who become the three who rule and yeah. turn them into vampires. And then kicks everyone out into a little village. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny how Adric turns up and he's like, have you got any cheese? I'm like, what? Cheese? But then when you go, um, when you see the three who rule, they've got a big um, buffet and there's like camembert and brie and all sorts of stuff. Like, who's who's uh, make, who's got this dairy farm? <laughs> That's true. I mean, <laughs> I never noticed that. I just thought it was like, there's just a, a huge amount of food. Uh, and there's the thing of, um, there's very mu- there's very much a, a a very, you know, there's a massive social division between those who rule and the peasants, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and even uh, Romana is basically taking the mick out of them because the, you know the the three who rule are talking about how they protect the peasants and uh, and all the rest of it, and it goes well, what do you do apart, you know, what, how do you protect them apart from saving them from gluttony, which I think is a great line. I love it. But one of the things that I really like about um, the the story is how we see the Doctor and Mon are investigating. They're enjoying it and find you know seeing things piece together. But also how it starts to establish how things would inf- you know resolve at the end of the story. It's very, I think the script is very expertly written. But then of course it is. It's written by Terence Dix. But um, uh, and uh, and there's there's a lot of fun and humor with humor with it so when the uh, in the second episode when the the doctor and romana no hang on is it i think the first episode sorry the doctor and romana get ki- uh sort of like uh, briefly kidnapped by uh that small scientific group who are out hiding and they've come across all this old technology uh, yeah. and then romana just you know clocks that it's it's earth made and they're going like okay so that's interesting um maybe we can get it working and then the doctor just whacks the monitor and everything comes on just like is a typical earth device and that whole thing of you know when they're going through the the medical records of uh the hydrax officers and their faces come up and one of the mm. the people in there used to be a guard and recognizes their faces and he saw them every day the three who rule yes i love how that is written how it's performed it's directed there's a lot of atmosphere in there and it just got it does sort of give give you chills um and then that pays off in the second episode. You know, it's sort of like followed up when the Doctor and Romana are kidnapped by the three who rule, and they're having that that entire conversation. And then later on, when the three who when they're left to their own devices, and the Doctor and Romana are locked in the uh, the stateroom. Uh, I remember as a kid being fascinated by this, and you know about the laws of continental shift, how language changes over the years, uh, and how the Hydrax officers names have changed over the centuries to become Orkhan, Camilla and Zargo and then they and the doctor goes and this is actually and this what we're in is that spaceship and they Mm. start exploring it and they're at the top there's these three um, scout ships at the top of the the tower and there's a a brief mention about how there's still a little bit of energy in the power cells Mark that for the end. So it's it's all mm-hmm. you know it's it's all being established, and I think it's it's very. All the information is there. It's expertly revealed and built up, and everything to make the end make sense is set up perfectly as well. Mm. Was it the climax of episode one where I had the bats flying overhead? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um... 
that was like an instance where you think they're in imminent danger and then they're not <laughs> in, the, in the conclusion. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think from... Do you, what, do you think the follow, uh, the beginning of episode two is a little bit of a disappointment? Um, yeah, well, in, in the end of episode one, the bats are flying towards them. But when we get a recap and see episode two, the bats are flying away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got to admit that is a little bit... Well, yeah, that is disappointing because the way that it builds up is just... Um, oh, it's just bats, and then one of them bites the doctor, yeah. and that freaks Romana out, and then they're both running. Yeah, we do. We do get bats on string, don't we? Yeah, 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 of course we do. Yeah, it's like it's like a Hammer horror film in there from from the fifties. Fantastic, <laughs> and the, the doctor and Romana are going. Oh, you know the crazy lots of bats. Come on, and they're running, and it's all very tension. And then we go crashing into the credits, and then as you say in the follow up, it's just like, come on, there's lots of bats. Run, and then the bats go, and then you just cut to our guard going, "You will come to us with the tower." Oh, okay. <laughs> So, oh, it's a bit of a damp squib. Mm. The tower was almost reminiscent of um, the spaceship from Full Circle. Um, they'd been procrastinating. It had been there for a long time. And the the bridge was kind of dressed more as like, was it like a library or had scrolls and things? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in front of the machinery. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of mirrors that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean... Um... Um, uh, the script editor uh, Christopher Hamilton Bidmead he he wanted to put this because th- you know it was Tom Baker's final season things are coming to an end and so he wanted to have this the and it definitely comes into uh, Tom Baker's final story but what he wanted to do is in, have this sort of theme of entropy that of stories about you know things just you know breaking down um, and either trying to fight that or or you, or you can't defeat it, and it's sort of, it does become a little bit of a theme. And yeah, so that there is those those shared elements, as you said, with with full circle, and that, and then you've even got it in the title, state of decay, things are decaying. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. There, there is that comparison with the uh, with the previous story. Mm. Um, and speaking of procrastinating, mm-hmm. these these um, the bunch who are kind of rebels that are hiding away. Mm-hmm. Um, the the older guy he wants to kind of wait until they're ready, even if it takes a few generations, because mm. he doesn't he doesn't believe they're um, they're capable of of um, liberating themselves yet. Yeah, and it's funny you can kind of see the the point because they have the three who rule have made reading forbidden, um, in any form of knowledge, and in fact later on you know Camilla says that that you know she. She's fearful of the Doctor because he has the greatest weapon of all knowledge, um, and that is the thing. You know, if you've got a if you've got a dumbed down, stupid population, they're much more easy to control. So you can kind of get that point of going. They are able to read and learn, but they need to learn more in order how to def- you know to actually defeat the through her rule. And keeping in mind, they don't actually realize how close to danger they are. It's only when the Doctor comes along, finds out what's going on, and goes right. We need a rallying force. We need to get our shit together. Uh, because if you don't defeat them now, then you're all going to die. Um, yeah, because they're all kind of complacent, like the woman in, in the in the lodge. Yeah, she's like, yeah, this is basically life. Then you die. Yeah, it's just like, uh, yeah, what's sleep, eat, serve the lords, and get old and die. Get old and die. Like yeah, and then, no, that's it. That's life. <laughs> it's really bloody depressing. But you know that, but that actually paints the you know the situation that they're in. 
And these people are really mm. worn out. Mm. And uh, they're basically... They're completely enslaved because it's it's very you know that that all what they do is till the land. They have most of everything that they produce goes to the three who rule. They have mm. the meagerest of portions in order just to get them to um, just to work, and that's it. They're they're basically yeah maybe maybe complacent isn't the word yeah they're just, they're just powerless yeah powerless completely. I know, but I knew where you're coming from. Uh, powerless completely worn worn down and um, yeah. And every attempt of you know getting them to think independently is just being constantly quashed. And then on top of that, you're keeping the population low to um, uh, to control them as well. But also, you know, these people. It's also to um, to help repair the, the great one, feed them with their blood. Um, so yeah, it's a really, really crappy situation. So you can kind of see where they're coming from, but it's the doctor who needs to, who basically gives them the boot up their ass that they need, that they need. Um, yeah. yeah. So in the um, when the doctor and Romana are locked in that room, mm-hmm. um, they find an an opening, don't they, behind the chairs? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they're able. Is this where they go below the spaceship? Uh. They do eventually, but first they work their way up. They go up to the the, th- uh, the very top. That's when the Doctor discovers that in one of the, the turrets, there's, oh, some, yes. there's some energy cells that are s- yes. still working. Then they And s- Romana, Romana does say enough to take off. Yes, so... It's a possibility. Yeah, it's a possibility. That's mentioned, set up, good. And then, uh, and then they hear something. And it's just going... Oh, they, they do, yeah. Yeah, and it's just going... The doctors like had been work, you know, been slowly working things out and just going. It's more evidence, evidence of what. It's too horrible to contemplate. I mean, we all know it's obviously vampire related and sounds like a heartbeat, but nonetheless, it's still. It's like because we don't quite know the extent of the threat yet, and the the fact that the doctors troubled by it obviously helps the tension to it. It's wonderfully directed. We get this really good uh, close, you know, zoom into his face, and and the tension. And then they work their way down. There's this chamber, and there's all these mummified bodies stored. And uh, and then you have, because um, as we've been established, this used to be a spaceship. the The fuel pumps are still used, but it's not rocket fuel; it's blood. Ooh, Ooh. Ooh creepy stuff. So, um, so there's that. And then they work their way down to the, the very bottom of the spaceship, and they're in a cave. The resting place, um, <laughs> and that's and that's the cliffhanger to, to episode two. Welcome to the rest, you know. Welcome to the resting place. Where the resting place? Um, well, for the great one. Welcome to his domain. Zo- you know, a uh, very big close up of uh, 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 Orcon's eyes crash into the. Uh, yeah, I remember that bit, uh, yeah. into the credits, and I think actually this is a cliffhanger that 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 works, and continues well into the into the following episode uh because the mm. you know the tension's still there uh the doctor works out that um that orcon used to be used to be called uh chief Scient- scientific o'connor so it's just like that they aren't the descendants of the originals they are the originals it's like so these people are really old so that they're obviously you know th- we already sort of knew but it's been like it's it's very much that these people are um 
or very old, they're vampires. And then there's something where he tries to take over them. And the Doctor goes, you know, those tricks won't work on us. We're, you know, we're Time Lords. Goes, Time Lords, the ancient enemies! Um, which <laughs> I, I've got to admit is a, is a line which just sort of like uh, crack, it cracks me up a bit, especially the delivery of it. Nothing towards uh, Emrys James's delivery of it because it's not the most natural line. <laughs> it is, it, <laughs> just, I don't know, it's just one of those things that go on. Um, it's a bit of a, I don't know, I think it's just, a, I think it's one instance in the script where it's just a, a clunky um, information dump. Um, Time Lords, the ancient enemies, it just, I don't know, it just seems a bit of yeah, a... Yeah, you could put it in the, mouth, in the mouth of any Doctor Who villain, couldn't you? Yeah, it's a bit generic. Yeah, it, it is generic. And um, I think it would have been a bit more interesting had he just said Time Lords, but in a way that he clearly recognised them. And then you would go, oh, so he knows what Time Lords mm. are. Um, not this time no it's the ancient enemies uh <laughs> great um but because yeah so as i said i think that would you know if he said time lords in a way where it's sort of it's like he, he oh he recognizes that and then imagine that with that scene later on when the doctors because we get two great scenes when uh the doctor and romana are imprisoned yeah. and uh they're having a great conversation and it's just wonderful. It mirrors uh, the very beginning of the episode where uh, Romana says, um, you are incredible. It's just like, oh, I suppose I am. I never really thought about it. Uh, and that gets referenced in this scene, which is just a nice little mirroring of that, with, uh, but with the roles reversed, with uh, the Doctor saying Romana's wonderful. Yeah. It is a little bit meta in the set. I mean, it, it works within the context that the Doctor Romana are companions and get on incredibly well. It is a little bit meta because... You know, Tom Baker and Lana Ward were um, <clears throat> in a relationship at this point. I mean, it was a bit rocky, but they mm. were later marry. They were later divorce, but, you know. Mm. Um, so it, it also feels like not only is the Doctor talking to Romana, but it also feels like it's Tom Baker talking to Lana Ward. Um, but it's just, a, it's just a, a really nice scene. But it also establishes something where um, the Doctor's talking about, I like a good ghost story. Do you want to hear one? No. And then he goes on to tell it anyway um and there's this sort of thing of going the timelines were involved with vampires and then my favorite scene in the whole story is when he goes to the tardis and finds out that there's information on uh, on these reader cards which the the tardis console is able to print out yeah so he wheels in like a, a drinks trolley <laughs> full of them yeah full of them which is great um and starts reading this thing and just going and I also like because I know that Peter Moffat isn't really highly regarded as a, as a good uh, Doctor Who director, and I think you know he was very. I think what it is for a lot of people he didn't really. It lacked sort of like that little bit of edge, imagination or edge, to it, uh, and I can kind of see where people are coming from. It's perfectly fine, solid direction, but it's not like what you would get. You know, it's not like what Peter Grimwade was doing, like in Full Circle and then later stories. But here, I think I think this is uh, Peter Moffat does a great job with the direction, and there's some really good uh, camera angles. And I think this scene in the TARDIS is a very good example of that. You know where uh, we, you know, we kind of, you know, we're following the Doctor around the console. There's a bit when he's reading the story, and he's talking about, you know, he's talking because we heard a little bit about this legend. He's reading it, and this is confirming that the legend was actually like a real story, and the Time Lords did fight these these giant vampires. And he's reading it, and then the camera goes goes high up looking down at the doctor while he's like going you know when he's reading the story and it, it just 
it, it really heightens the, the the drama and the thrilling aspect of of what we're being told. And I mm. so um, I think this is a case of uh, a really well directed uh, story as well. And I, I love that scene. Yeah, when he gets the whole story printed out on like a like a, a shop till receipts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And do you th- do you think he's actually reading off that? Because you can see there is writing on it. Do you think his like his his dialogues on there? Yeah, I think it's got to be. I th- you know, um... or it, I, I was wondering, is it really just a co-op receipt that they got or something <laughs> random? <laughs> Yeah, it's all it's 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 yeah. everything that uh, the, the catering uh, team uh, ordered on location. Um, yeah, no, no, I, do, I mean I, do, I don't know, but yeah, I have noticed that there's text on it. It would make sense that they would have printed, uh, you know, printed it off. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah. So Rassilon had this information left on Type Forty tortoises. Mm-hmm. Is this the is this the origin of the Type Forty? Oh, is it mentioned beforehand? That's a good point. I I don't know. It may be. Um... The way it's presented, it's almost like this is when it was first delivered. Yeah, I know what you mean. I don't. Th- I don't think it was mentioned in the John Pertwee era, was it? Hmm. Uh, Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it's. Hang on. Yeah. Shall I Google it? It's got to be somewhere. Go on. Um. But it's also weird that um, these Type 40s, but does that mean they were in active service during the dark times? Must have been. Must have been, yeah. Oh, it may have actually been referenced first in The Deadly Assassin. Oh, right, okay. Um, which actually, uh, yeah, I'm sure... Yeah, it says here, Chancellor Goth was amazed a Type 40 was still operational, though when he inspected the unit, it was in good condition. The Deadly Assassin. Yeah, I think that was when it was first mentioned. Okay. Hmm. So, what else happens in episode three, then? Is that the one? Or on two? Yeah, no, no, uh, it is episode three. So, uh, at this point... uh, the Doctor and uh, Romano know that Adric's around and has stowed away in the TARDIS and he needs rescuing because Orcon has... There has to be a chosen one. Um, not sure why, but there does. Uh, and because of Adric and his type of personality and the way his brain works, Orcon's very impressed and has made him the chosen one. So he's uh, he's been hypnotised and left docile in where... Um, and dressed up. Yes, and dressed up in uh, Orcon and Camilla's um, uh, boudoir. I don't know what you call it. Um, <laughs> so um, Romana ha- was he was he wearing his regular clothes underneath? I wondered. He must have been. Why? <laughs> well, how would he get them back? Uh, they were hanging up in a wardrobe somewhere. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so Romana has to rescue Adric. Uh, that's when the Doctor goes back to the TARDIS and discovers everything to do with the legend. Uh, Romana uh, tries to rescue Adric, but in the, because Orcon, you know, um, Camilla and Zargo are asleep. But while she's trying to rescue Adric, they wake up and threaten her, and it looks like she's going to die. And it's all very sort of 
Um, or, or was this the cliffhanger? Yeah, this was the cliffhanger, and it's all very, um, it is all very camp, and lots of like, <gasps> and like, uh, like hands being flayed out, and slowly, you know, with uh, oh yeah, uh, with uh, Camilla slowly dancing to, you know, with her hands out. It's all very sort of a nineteen twenties Universal horror type thing. It is quite amusing and dated, but it, it works <laughs> stylistically. Um, and he gets um, stabbed, doesn't he? Who stabs him? Um, oh, yes. So there's one of the... I've forgotten the character's name now, but there's someone with Romana, uh, one of the scientific lot. And uh, mm. he... The only thing he's armed with is a knife, mm. uh, which he throws at... Um, Zargo's chest. Yes. And then and then we see Zargo, like, slowly... No, Sliding it out, yeah. Yeah. No, no, hang he on. Lick, he should have licked it afterwards. Ugh. But, yeah, I know what you mean. He should have. Um... <laughs> And then threatens uh, Romana with it, and that's the and that's the the cliffhanger. But yeah, um, the guy who originally had the knife, he's been thrown across the room, and I think his neck has been snapped. Oh, and right. then uh, Camilla's like really miffed because they wanted to like um, they they wanted to suck his. Blood. Oh yeah, the blood's not fresh. Yeah, it's anymore. just like you killed mm. him. The blood of the what was it? It's probably still a bit warm. Yeah, I would have I thought mean, so. I mean, it, it's fresher than that stuff in the buckets downstairs. <laughs> yeah, it is. But the state that the great one was in, I don't think he's fussy. He's just like, just give me blood, whatever. But Camilla's like really fussy. You killed it. What was it? The the blood the blood of the dead is stale and flat. I must feed on the living. Uh, is the is the line? And um, mm. yeah, it's just like wow, the blood went flat very quick. Then even coke doesn't go as flat as that. <laughs> that quick. Yeah. So yeah, Camilla's fussy, and then anyway, so um, yeah, Romana's threatened. Then we go into the final episode, where you know she's being threatened, but then Orkon returns, uh, and Romana has now been uh, be- because now there has to be a sacrifice uh, at the ceremony for Rev- uh, for the Great One awakening. Naturally, Na- naturally, yeah. of course. So Romana's going to be sacrificed because she's a time lady, and they're the ancient enemy. Um, so. so- uh, so naturally, she gets hypnotized and put in a, a white satin dress. It's a nice dress, um, yeah. and they just they just had it hanging up, fits Lala Ward perfectly. What are the chances? Um, um, yeah, extremely likely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and then so this is the moment when you know we're reaching the climax. It's the final episode. So the Doctor has has rallied uh, the uh, the villagers and the scientific lot, formed together. There's this whole thing when he, he needs to, to rally them and just going, right, I've got my own things to do. I need to deal with the Great One, but I can lead you, uh, lend you a very impressive tool. It's like, what's that? Um, you know, he's building up K9 and then just going, you know, deadly with a nose laser and all the rest of it. I give you K9 and then K9 sort of like trundles out the TARDIS and they all look just going, what? what? Uh, they're not impressed. It's kind of funny. Uh, you know, because we love K9 and it's a great design. But yeah, if if you're just going, I've got this really great tool for you to, you know, to to for a revolution, and uh, and changing everything and defeating the three who rule. What's that? It's this tin dog. Hmm. Um, so it is it is quite a humorous moment, um, and then we you know the, the attack that we attack the they all attack the tower, um, and and then we're building up to the the cliffhanger. Which is no, not the cliffhanger. The what? What's the word I'm after, Rob? The climax. The climax. Yes, thanks, Rob. Yes. Uh, building up to the climax, 
Um, so the Great One's wake, uh, Awakening, which is just this this big gloved hand yes. emerging from. But before that, don't we see a visualization of the Great One as a giant bass? Yeah. On a screen. Yeah. Oh, is it on the the scanner? Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. All right. So that scanner that can like, it shows a blurry predator vision of outside the cave. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, look, there's someone coming. Why did I just stand at the doorway? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um I know it does more than that, it does scan the whole area, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um yeah. I think that's the thing which there's a bit of a disconnect of just going uh I'll I'll show you what's there. And it's this I mean I love State of Decay, um and I can just watch it and enjoy it and forgive it for its faults, but I have got to admit the the the, the model effects are a little <sighs> It, they are ropey. I mean, they're not convincing. Uh, no. <laughs> no. Uh, are you talking in particular about um, the bat or the ship? Well, sort of like... Or just all of it? Well, just all of it, because, you know, um, the the model of the village, it looks like a model. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I think the, the design of the spaceship is... Or the tower is really good. Um, but, yeah, th- so that clearly looks like a model um you've got you've got the the image of the great one which is just this big rubbery bat at the bottom of a cave but then i think but then the the issue with that is it doesn't really it doesn't really match what we see when the great one uh it doesn't that's why i was bringing it yeah it it doesn't match you know one is a big bat and now now there's a unless he's got he's got normal human giant hands on the tip of his wings uh, maybe <laughs> maybe but it doesn't it doesn't quite match i've got to say that there is one good shot uh of, of the model work mm-hmm. which is where it's just it's just this is all that we see well actually there, there are two it's when we're building up um to the the great one coming up and we see that bit of the cave and you know the uh, the the ground matches the breathing and the ground starting to break up that looks actually quite good and there is one shot when the hand break you know breaks through that looks good. Where it doesn't quite work is when we we see the uh, the three who rule imposed in front of it because the scale doesn't match up. Yeah, the scale's a bit a bit confusing. It, it comes across as an absolute giant. Are, are, do you mean the hand? No. Yeah, it, the the scale of the three who rule, the the placement of the shot, and it doesn't it doesn't quite work. You're aware that the, the scale doesn't quite match, and then. And then also, because was the was the hand not meant to be like city sized King Kong hand? No, I, th- I mean I think you know he is the giant vampire, so he is meant to be absolutely mm. huge. Yeah, but the the scale of the three who rule. It's a bit off. Yeah, it's a bit off. It doesn't. I, I, yeah, I mean, I think look at it and you'll you'll know what I mean. But the scale of it doesn't right. work. I totally appreciate it though that you know this was a case when um, they didn't have the time to to do it to sell that shot. They you know they were really you know they had very little time to to, to do all this. And actually, so given how little time that they were doing it, you know this was the the best that they could do. Uh, I can completely understand that. And for me, it doesn't ruin the enjoyment of the story. I just you know I'm looking at it's just a shame. Because I think everything else is good, and I really like it. It's just, it's just a shame it doesn't, it doesn't quite work. But 
at the end of the day, it doesn't it doesn't ruin my enjoyment of watching it. So, yeah, I didn't even notice. Oh, sorry, Rob, I've ruined the story for you. Yeah, totally. Um, so where were we up to with the story? Um, pretty much the end. So, uh, the ta- oh yeah, dodgy dodgy model effects, things like that. D- dodgy. Yeah, but what uh, but what the the doctor has done has got the the hydrax to through its last remaining bit of energy fly up. Yeah, because what does he need like a bow gun or something? Yes, um, which is a mighty bolt of bolt of steel. Um, mm. Conveniently, um, the tip of this of this rocket is just that. Yeah, but. Um, but I think it's good. One of the um, it's on the DVD, but it's also on the Blu-ray as well. There's a, a, um, a cultural historian called Chris Frailing, and they got him to talk about uh, State of Decay. And what he was talking about, he, he it's really quite interesting. So he talks about uh, the vampire myths and legends and the, the history of them and how it progressed, uh, and how how they were perceived as scary, why they were, and how the the vampire myth was uh, was developing and and then he talks about a state of state of decay in relation to the vampire development and what he said was what was very interesting with state of decay when it was actually broadcast in 1980 it happens at this very interesting point when the vampire thing of gothic horror um is starting to change and they're going down a more technological route. And he said, and what's interesting with State of Decay is it straddles so it straddles that change. It's doing it's doing both of those things in the same story. So you've got the the gothic element to it and the amateur dramatic thing and the you know the uh, the doomed villagers and all the rest of it. And then you've got the scientific thing and he actually thought it was a very neat idea of the fact that you've got a spaceship which then has to be used in order to pierce the heart of a vampire. Um, so the so he was kind of like he was sort of intrigued by that and thought that was actually quite a quite a good idea. Mm, yeah. So as things start to get wrapped up in the epilogue, the people are liberated, they're free, mm-hmm. and that old guy is kind of optimistic about the future. The doctor says, um, "You can kind of." become a more technologically um developed society mm-hmm. um and that guy is quite curious about how to leave e-space but um the doctor doesn't really want to tell him <laughs> she wants to get on <laughs> yeah but then move on but then at the end of it um uh <laughs> is that yeah, it's hailing again um all right i thought wait what the hell are you doing <laughs> Right there, that's hail hitting the window. Um, the yeah, it's getting quite heavy now. Um, but then the the doctor doesn't know how to leave e space, so it's as if he can answer. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Then the move on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, have we got any listeners' responses ready, Liam? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, we do have some. So, um. James and friends uh, got in contact, uh, not necessarily about the story itself, but just saying about the way that it's been packaged over the years, that it's got to be one of the best DVD covers from the range and one of the worst VHSs. And um, <laughs> how would you describe the two differences? I would agree. So the DVD uh, cover 
has this great shot of um, the three who rule with um, brilliantly positioned um, the, the king and queen at the back orc on the chancellor at the front and the way that his torso so, sort of uh, forms into the cave with Dr. Romano standing in the middle of it we've got uh, like a sunset in the background we've got bats flying it's beautiful it's, uh, it's, it, that, that sounds like really smart there's some good symmetry there yeah very good symmetry wonderful use of colour uh, lots of reds and oranges it's got a warm autumnal look to it you've got the spa- uh, the spaceship the hydrax in the background um yeah it's it's really nice it's a very good dvd cover now what does the vhs t- one tell us about this story um the vhs tells us that um that it takes place in um a sink full of green water where the plugs <laughs> plugs are running out and spiraling down Ugh. Uh, with a TARDIS in the middle, and it's just got. Um, I just think it's a very lazy cover. You've got um, three uh, publicity photos uh, mer- just merged in one of Tom Baker, one of Lala War. It's just photographs slapped onto this green spiral. Uh, it's not very imaginative, and it's positioned a bit oddly. Especially Especially the way that Adric looks. It, yeah, it, it, it. Well, that's a shame because yeah. we get some. We've had some good illustrated covers. Yeah, yeah, but this was the time when uh, the BBC were remarketing, and they all wanted to have a sort of like uh, a universal look to it. So you've got the illustrated version of the TV movie logo, and everything was just spiral formed. Right. Um, yeah. It's an. Yeah, I totally, uh, I totally agree with James one, James on that one. The way it's been packaged, great DVD cover. The VHS was just completely uninspired, but yeah. Um, mm. uh, so thanks for that, James. Andrew, cheers. Uh, Andrew Island says, "I love the story. I was about six when it aired. I love the abridged audio story as told by Tom Baker. I also love the theatrical direction. Um, it's a great addition to season eighteen. Love it. I agree with all that." Um, Yes, and one of the one of the good things about the the Blu-ray um, uh, release of it, it actually has that abridged uh, audio story narrated by uh, told by Tom Baker as one of the special features, so you can actually listen to that. Oh, was this like a double cassette, maybe? Yeah, it came out in the early eighties, and uh, it'd been out of print for decades, so. We finally get an opportunity to listen to that, so that's that is really good, and yeah, uh, Peter Moffat's uh, theatrical direction really works. So I agree with that. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, Richard Smith says I can confirm the suspicions of anyone who knows me by suggesting that I don't think I've seen this since the original broadcast. I like the story twist, but it was neither all that appealing to a th- twelve, thirteen-year-old transmitted across my birthday, nor have I wanted to see it since. Oh, okay, that's interesting. So obviously he remembers it, but it didn't really... He liked aspects of it, but it's never really... Mm, didn't quite click. Yeah, d- okay. yeah, I know, because we all get stories like that where I've seen it, I remember it, sort of all right, but I've got no desire to watch it again. So yeah, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> Thank- there's a fair few like that. <laughs> yeah, there is. Thanks, Richard. Um, Jason at uh, Doctor Who Novel says, some great scares, great production design and music. Yes, well, I haven't talked about the music. The music was excellent in this story. Yeah, well... um. 
I was watching it and my oldest daughter um, heard the music, so she was really intrigued. Mm. So, oh, what's that? Yeah. Uh, um, I think she recognized it as being something from the maybe the 80s or so. Yeah. I think that's one of the things, because at this point, you know, so Dudley Simpson, who'd largely been doing the music, he'd been ditched. And uh, John Luther Turner was just like, right, I want to update the sound. Well, he was updating everything, but updated the sound. And the BBC Radiophonic Workshop were producing the music. Um, and they do a great job. And season, the, the soundtracks for season 18 in particular are really wonderful. So you had, um, yeah, they were great. So agree with that. And uh, Jason also says, an Orcon is a memorable villain, one of my favourites. Uh, yeah. And... Ianni, um has sorry uh, I was a bit stumbling I wasn't sure if that was a lowercase i or an l sorry just being a bit dumb uh, so Ianni, Ian of Time Lord uh, got in contact and said love that story it's just brilliant ship of state um, actually that's another uh, thanks for that that's another great scene that moment when um, the Doctor and Romana are talking to uh, Camilla and Zargo for the first time and where they're, they're talking about the society and yeah um, ship of state and the doctor goes, what are you talking about? It's a metaphor trying to cover up the fact that he was literally talking about the ship of state, which is the Hydrax, but not. And, you know, Camilla's making it obvious that, oh, you know, yeah. it was, you know, all the rest of it. It's a great scene. And going into Peter Moffat's direction, how he sort of uh, gets them all to go in a sort of quadrille and moving around each other just makes the the tension of the scene flow. Um, very good. Uh, so thanks, everyone. Uh, some very good comments. Yeah, thanks. Um, we also did a poll. How would you rate the fourth uh, Doctor Who story, State of Decay? Um, before I get to those results, uh, how would you rank it, Rob? Um, yeah, it was a good, solid story. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I would agree. Good. One, uh, one of my favourites. I love watching this. I do come back to it quite often. Uh, so yeah, I would say it was good. And that's been uh, the majority of people. So we had 11% of people said it was bad. Uh, 21% said it was average. But a huge leap with 68% saying it was good. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. So um, we'll we'll get back to season 18 mm-hmm. at some point. Um, what is our next lineup um of season 18 stories um well um so it won't necessarily be next week but maybe the week after yes uh but we will be going back to uh big finish uh for a little while all right um so we had it's been a while what did did we listen to last we had subterranea and uh Oh, I've forgotten the name of the story now, and I, I sort of thought it was all right. What wasn't it the one where it was sort of uh, the, the the like a sponge span, spongy planet? Oh yeah, where it was like a, a water planet, but with lots of eels and time was repeating itself and stuff. Yeah, that that was a two parter, wasn't it? That was right. Yes, yeah, yeah, and uh, we had uh, uh, Deathras, the the skin of the sleek. That was it, the skin Deathras. of the sleek. Yes, yeah, yeah, and the thief of time. Uh, the thief of time. That's it. Uh, what's what's Deathrath? Um, Deathrath was. Uh, I think that was the second big finish story we reviewed for this season, right. and I thought uh, I can't remember it. I think we both thought it was crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember that one. We didn't like it much. Uh, so it was that. But um, 
so yes we'll be going back to to big finish uh so for the season 18 stuff so that's two stories uh the next time we come back to it so that's purgatory 12 and chase the night oh. um so, so two-parter no no uh not a two-parter but double the double bill it's, it's, it's a double bill uh two stories but i think a uh, bit of a difference i think they are like a, i think they're an hour long story uh each right so yeah uh, not bad yeah that's good um Never mind that, though, because our next episode, I get to choose. Yep. Um, so I've honed in on a specific series um, of the new era. Okay. Um, I, I, there's not many stories in this, se- in this series um, with this Doctor, so um, I don't want to kind of get them all out of the way too quickly, but I've picked a Ninth Doctor story. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Um, and it is The End of the World. Ah, that's the second one, isn't it? Second episode. It yes. is. Yeah, yeah. Episode two. Yeah. Oh, back to you, Liam, sorry. Uh, no, no, thank, uh, thanks for that, Rob. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, next week's uh, podcast. Hopefully you are listeners. Um, so yes, that's it for now. Thanks very much for listening. And uh, we will be so we'll, we'll be back next week that is a promise um, oh, I never forget a promise yeah, um, <laughs> yeah so um, a little bit behind the scenes our new night for recording is uh, Thursday Liam yeah yes so I'm finally actually able to have a proper schedule of knowing what we're aiming for yeah. actually have a set day for, for recording uh, and obviously th- that helps uh, enormously with um, uh, getting this podcast out on time when we actually plan to um, yeah, of course. Yeah, so if if anyone wants to get in touch with us on socials, uh, please do say hello. Um, but yeah, I think that's everything. Uh, yep. Um, keep your browsers locked to cloisterbellpodcast.com yep. and tune in next week. That's a promise. Yes, yeah? that is a promise. Yep. See you okay, there. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>